This episode of AVXL was recorded on May 2nd, 2019. We're going to talk about Hugh versus Shade, and oddly enough, Game of Thrones. Was it dark, compressed, terrifying, or was your TV just tuned the wrong way? Cobuzz, the world's first and only certified high-res streaming and download service. All that and so much more coming up on AVXL. Testing, one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Well, Navy Excel, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I'm going to close that door real quick. There is mayhem going on outside of Robert's house right now. The gentle jingle of the wind chimes being overwhelmed by the terrifying throp of and the I'm helicopter back. that I'm going to have to drive under to get home. Who knows what's going on out there? I was there. mocking traffic right before you got here. Yeah, I wasn't. I was sitting in it. I was like, why is the helicopter <laughs> circling above? It's telling me where to drive around. Looking the at way the home. major intersection near here. Oh anyway. my goodness. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Aaron. And we're here to talk about video and audio and having the best possible experience you can, no matter what your budget is. Um, you know, video looks bad when my wife goes, Gah, are we going to need the Blu-ray to see this? I thought it was miserable compression mayhem as uh, episode three, season eight, aka The Long Night, scrolled through the epic battle of Winterfell or whatever they're going to call ah, it. Game of Thrones. Yeah. I still have yet to watch any of it. I heard many a complaint, a cry of frustration WTF. and rage. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, no spoilers, but I can tell you without spoiling this is it's a battle. It takes place at night. It takes place in winter, which is a complicated subject in, in the Game of Thrones universe because uh, it lasts years. Much of it takes place in a castle, which includes hallways and stairwells and crypts. And oh, by the way, did Lots I mention shadows. it's night? I will say... Uh, was it difficult to see? What was the problem? So there were several things going on. I shall begin to unpack this. The first okay. thing is we need to talk about HBO streaming. HBO does not do 4K. HBO does not do HDR. They do do 1080p. They ask you to have a minimum of five megabits per second 1080p. So I am beginning to suspect you that can do they do a lot with that. But when you have 40 zillion characters on screen swinging medieval weapons at each other, you can only do so much. I've watched it completely in full like <gasps> mode, and then I, I went back, you know, in the wee small hours of the morning where nobody on the West Coast is awake and watching television to see how much of it was compression artifacts that were induced by having a poor connection to their servers, right? Because, right. you know, if you're watching it on Sunday night, it was you and like 7 billion other people. My first thought, um, many people trying to access the same content simultaneously. Never Boom. makes it good for anybody. And the very fact that it didn't crash completely says quite a bit. Yeah, yeah That's I, a good thing. I agree. Up to a point. Anything um, that popular, you're going to see some degradation. Yeah, I didn't see as much degradation as I would have liked to have, which is to say that the experience we saw on Sunday night was pretty much the same thing that I saw at like two in the morning on Tuesday night. I want to say it wasn't that long ago, a, a few seasons ago. Yeah. of Game of Thrones. And there was yet another dark scene yeah. that had, I think, a, a fire burning or something. And everyone was complaining about macro blocking in right. that particular stream. And that was yet another night scene with a well-contrasted detailed object that's moving quite quickly. Yeah. And it was a, a case for work compression can go wrong this is was this that was there actual macro blocking or is it just the stream got more compressed looking because so many people were simultaneously accessing it and they're just trying to so maintain a baseline I, level of service that was that was the that was my first question is is this due to congestion on the network my response is 
a tiny percent of it. It was a little bit worse watching it when okay. the network was completely congested. Right. So, I was hoping to watch it the second time. And it's so interesting because we'll, we'll there's moments. Piece of video. It's weird, right? Because, you know, I, I also want to now I want to go, you know, fire up my aging Samsung plasma and watch it on that because some of the issues are the way the Epson projector I run handles sort of large open fields of color. And I want to make sure some of the banding issues I saw were with the compression and not with my projector. That said, from a guy that had a you minor in film patterns. studies. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'll bring over some calibration yeah, so I need, gear. I need HBO to send me some test patterns. No, but that's, you well, bring up a point though. It's one reason that I've kind of hesitated even getting into Game of Thrones is I simply would rather see it on disc. Yeah. And it's beautifully at, shot at a certain level of quality. I know probably exists and not deal with any potential streaming yeah. issues well, whatsoever. So let's, let's talk about at least on night number one. <laughs> there is there there was certainly macro blocking on the night. There was I believe there was some um, when I was watching it uh, in the wee small hours of the morning. So let me let me get some tweets here from another DK. So at Patrick Norton at Robert Heron, I hear people saying they couldn't see anything in last night's Game of Thrones episode. Is that they had bad TVs, bad settings, or bad streaming compression? I thought it looked pretty good on my Panasonic Plasma. And our friend Frank Knight from back in the day says, I think this week's Pound Game of Thrones would be a great way to teach TV settings and qualities at Robert Heron at Patrick Norton. I really want to know if TVs with better black levels could see more than I could. Both good observations yeah. in a way. And we're going to be talking more about sort of calibrating your television and understanding the difference between what you like, which is a reasonable standard, and what actual professional... Because because the difference between, like, when we get to audio, there's a lot of, like, you know, I really like more bass. Or I really like more treble. I want a V sound. I want a neutral sound. I want giant fluffy puppies licking my ears. Video's the same way. On one hand, video is the same way, but on the other hand, there actually are broadcast engineering standards where if you want to do it right, he says with finger quotes. Well, in terms you know. of uh, the output, in terms yeah. of it being formatted to, oh, don't don't use a color that's not in the available palette right. and don't don't send the luminous signal beyond the range that's not within the standard. Those kind of basic things. But in terms of manipulation of color and detail and things you see and yeah. how it looks, every stick and pixel gets forked over. I many, understand that. Many, but, many times. But, but like when, when you create a... When when something goes out over broadcast, yeah. there's a way of replicating that as close as possible, given Correct. the equipment you have. There's a there's an actual finite calibration that says, based on Correct. the Mark One human eyeball, this is what this screen should look like. And in Frank's case, I would say, yeah, it could really depend on the room lighting conditions or the environment. Whereas in the case of the plasma Another owner. DK. Yes. Plasmas are very similar to OLEDs in the sense that they look phenomenal. They do really good with dark detail, mm -hmm. especially in darkroom environments. Pair that with the fact that this episode could have very well been color graded on right. an OLED TV. That might have been the monitor they were targeting. They had a, I don't know, you could say a better representation of dark detail on that kind of display. And this scene happened to be a rather dark scene. So in its overall lighting, yeah, well, average I mean, picture level. There's a lot of stuff going on here, right? Because it, And if your TV isn't set up properly or you're not right. in an environment where your eyes can properly appreciate that dark detail. Right. And if there are other things afoot on the back end, dealing with, like you mentioned, compression artifacts, I doubt it's an authoring issue. Let me put it that way. Yeah, and it's it's. I bet you it's going to look damn good when the 4K UHD release comes out <laughs> in a year or so. Yeah, well, okay, so Fabian or Wagner streaming. was the cinematographer. Yeah, Apple TV Plus. And uh, for, for this episode, he was like, look, we did this intentionally. We were going for something here. I'm going to quote uh, uh, an interview he did. Then the quote's in The Verge. I think it came from the 
Wired UK. He says, quote, a lot of the problem is that a lot of people don't know how to tune their TVs properly. He told Wired UK. A lot of people also unfortunately watch Game of Thrones on small iPads, which in no way can do justice to a show like that anyway. So I wouldn't necessarily agree with that last statement regarding iPads, at least. Well, I mean, remember, remember, if you're a like, cinematographer, you are trying to, you know, escape an enveloping experience. And, and iPads, a lot of things. And it could be really enveloping if you're a six-year-old cuddling like the with it. Pro, but... I believe, is a factory color-corrected device. That's I know. He's saying, I packed all of this crap color. into every... Let me put on my film studies hat yeah. for a second. He's like, I put all this crap in every frame Should of this magnificent construction. Put it on a big enough screen so that you right. can actually see it without a magnifying glass. I get that. So, But it could be tuning issues. It could also be... There are scenes I've seen yeah. in many productions where the intent is for you not to see something. Or it is supposed to be too dark. Where it, it is supposed to fade to black. Yeah. In a particular part of the screen or the scene, and that's just simply the way it is. That it's not very common. There's usually yeah. something there distinguishing it from pure black. There's there's moments that looked absolutely pure black on my screen, and part of that also may be compression. It would be interesting to see it on an OLED. But you um, look great. Well, it's also you got to remember, right? Because again, this is a, a fight at oh, night. The source material too. You know, until and, it, and well, it's also the only way anybody saw this was streaming. Yeah, I have never been in a close quarter melee with you know 13th century weaponry, right? Okay, but I have played a lot of rugby. And I've spent a lot of quality time in some of the darker and less lit parts of New York City in my youth, which occasionally felt like rugby games. Okay. So let me tell you something. If you're in a night fight and you don't have street lamps, it's really delete expletive dark. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so when you're having a battle between two armies by firelight, it's kind of dark. There's moments where everything looks really crisp and really sharp. Those right. also tend to be the most brightly lit moments in it. And I think also part of that is intentional because you have literally, it's dark. There's a lot of bodies. Everybody wears mud-colored clothes. And that tends to give you this super muted palette that also makes the faces of the primary characters, of which there's like 19 we're kind of worried about in this episode. But um, just to let everyone know yeah. that when the colorist was going through that final grade of the movie, you know what? If a face needed to be brightened in a particular scene, yeah. it literally will draw a circle around it and brighten that face. Every aspect about that was probably done very, very well. Yes. It just sounds like this may have been having content that actually exposes TVs with contrast that is not as yeah. impressive as something like a good plasma display or a good OLED. When you think about that, like... That could be anything from, you know, mediocre LCD yeah. TVs, off-axis viewing, most projectors in most environments, unless you're talking like a really nice JVC projector that can do inky dark black. Right. And having good rollout out of pure black, having yeah. that detail represented properly without, without crushing... There was a, I felt there's a lot of crushing and banding going on, but I mean, there's... And there's, the thing is, too, is that the source material, once again, to reiterate, it, it's something you can't even do a repetition of because, okay, was the bitrate consistent the whole time during the right. viewing? If, Who if, knows? Hopefully. And then at least then you could just replay it a few times on a few different devices and right. you know, get a feel for what that scene supposedly was supposed to look like. Well, it's it's like... it's and it's cool. It's the, a good example for There's everyone. not a single thing they did in this episode that wasn't intentional. And they had a lot of money and a lot of time to put it together exactly how they wanted it. And this was how it was. It was probably the biggest battle in the history of television series. It took place at night. It was a complete mess. Big chunks of it take place underground. Big chunks of it take place in an open, unlit field. Big chunks of it take place... It it's was a shame they don't have this on disc yet. Because there is a specific sequence in one of the Harry Potter movies right. that 
has a battle that takes place in a very dark environment. And that is a scene that is frequently used, especially with 4K HDR discs, right. as test material on TVs, just to see what the low-end light performance looks like in terms of contrast and detail and things like that. Yeah, but to, to get really specific... Um, I just find it amusing. This is a, this is a good case for... You know, people just simply right. more aware of what contrast is, what that detail involves, yeah. what is black level, how is that detail I mean, represented on the screen, how should it look versus how you're receiving it. Most television programming is made very appealing to the eye. There's a reason why so many shows take place in Southern California or New York City or whatever it is. There's a reason most scenes are brightly lit. When you get something that comes down to the worst night ever for a lot of people in the dark and the mud and the crap and the mayhem. I'm not looking at Game of Thrones reality i'm not yeah but i mean but like but but i mean but but anything but actually yeah no 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 i'm not confusing with that but what i'm saying though is is it's like it's the most stylized thing. yeah it is incredibly stylized and stylized eye candy so much of game of thrones takes place in these majestic scenes whether it's the majestic throne room or the majestic grasslands or the majestic ocean I'm or just the... happy it's bringing up aspects of picture quality yeah. much like tom cruise a few months back oh my with goodness one of the mission impossible movies that came out where he was talking about <laughs> motion and motion processing and turning off the smoothing effect get rid of the soap opera effect oh my goodness <laughs> so that. and i appreciate game of thrones bringing up some awareness related to you know the darkest of grays and detail therein to summarize another dk contrast on a lot of tvs suck and that makes dark Black scenes harder kind of gray on a lot of tvs a you glowing know, gray hbo compresses the crap out of its HD and it probably has to just to basically not Especially spend all the on money. night of presentation. Yeah. You can assume probably people you could throw a rock at <laughs> are doing the same thing you are yeah. <laughs> with the local bandwidth. And, but I will also say that I think HBO also runs more compression on their content than, for example, Netflix oh, does and some other I'm posts. actually kind of surprised there isn't a 4K HDR version of Game of Thrones. There is... There, uh, there like is every new season, Netflix production has. That. Well, I don't know what they're shooting it in. There's seven seasons of the Blu-ray. There's one season in 4K. I haven't even figured out if it's HDR yet. Um, Re-release everything one day. You know, and yeah, uh, Frank, TVs with better back levels should absolutely see more than you could on your television, assuming there's something there to see. This is one of the movies where I've thought to myself, man, I want to see this in HDR. <laughs> Heck yeah! Because I bet there's a lot there that we uh, we better couldn't color. see. Oh man, better everything. Google and Amazon uh, appear to be friendly again. Thank goodness, it's a start. They appear to be talking. <laughs> They're not completely ignoring each other anymore. They're not completely ignoring each other anymore. Yeah. The reason the, uh, I stopped using Fire TV devices was I had no access to a native YouTube app. Right. And apparently that has now changed. Nathan Ingraham wrote on the Engadget, quote, YouTube will be available on Amazon Fire TV devices in the coming months, and Amazon Prime Video will work with Chromecast and Android TV devices as well. A Google spokesperson told Engadget that the main YouTube app is coming first, but YouTube TV and YouTube Kids will follow afterwards. Why I went to Roku. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> YouTube. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to see that. It doesn't hurt either of them. Yeah. It probably helps Amazon, to be honest with you, because it really did keep me off their platform. Just for that reason alone, I'm a big me. YouTube viewer. So, Oh, yeah. Got to have it. And uh, I see Apple TVs on Amazon. <laughs> and I'm not using a browser within. Oh, oh. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Don't even get me started. Good deal. 
In other news involving streaming services and big changes, Disney has a date, November 12th, for the Disney Plus streaming service. They're launching in the United States on November 12th, $6.99 a month or $69 a year. Shockingly and delightfully, in the context of our HBO conversation, they're going to have 4K and HDR, uh, Roku, PlayStation 4, desktop browsers. In theory, all the mobile and TV platforms, which I assume means Android, iOS. Of course. I haven't seen them specifically say Apple TV, but maybe I just haven't dug deeply enough into the complicated and messy website situation. Part of what's really cool is as long as you are a subscriber, you will have unlimited offline viewing. So if you are a parent and your kid watches three hours of whatever Disney show every day you will now not be sucking three to four gigabytes of data cool. a day on there family Use controls the bandwidth at home yeah. load up the device take it on the road which is pretty awesome not bad i know we mentioned this uh, when we were talking about disney's announcement earlier this year but bam tech is the guts behind this and that would be uh, mlb.tv hbo now ps view hbo now maybe you could pay some more money and get the cool 4k hdr stuff <laughs> hey seeing MLB how they're TV is in 4k not yet not yet it is close to like 1080p 60 720p 60 it looks pretty good delicious for baseball streaming espn i gotta say most of their streaming can look pretty good although their f1 streaming of late has been kind of (laughs) iffy i still remember listening to you for like two years being like and they still put everything in 720 do i put up with mediocre streaming or do i go online to any of the great streaming outlets out there of the uh, file (laughs) sharing variety and download somebody's like dump from their sky one 4k box at home no comments but then i have to wait and i (laughs) <laughs> you have to wait. <laughs> the to torrents, wait for somebody to they are slow. That. Nah, oh torrents are quick. Just got to process all that video. Oh, well, that's an entirely different bag of But weasels. seven bucks. Seven bucks to get your Disney back and everything they have now. Yeah, I am very year, curious to see. Yeah, they're going to make a fortune off that. There's going to be but like... it's effectively just a, a content platform for them. Yeah. It's just, here's our stuff. I'll be curious to see if they are able to license it out to anyone else, you know? Yeah. Uh, this might be a reason why you won't see it on Apple anytime soon. One or, of the f- or it'll be an ultimate deal that gets set up before it does. You know, I've, I have unbelievable amounts of faith that the mouth... Disney owns nowadays. Yeah, well, Fox. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really, really curious because, for example, there's going to be, uh, there's a, a great Ars Technica article on this. Like, there's going to be a Falcon and Winter Soldier series. What's interesting is we were told that all of the Marvel films, like a year ago, were going to show up on this. But, quote, Ars Technica says, a Marvel representative confirmed only four Marvel films coming to Disney Plus in the service's launch window, as to opposed to a guarantee that the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe catalog will be live in Disney Plus's first year. That said, every single Star Wars and every single Pixar film has been committed to be out on Disney Plus in the first year. So... I'm really curious. They've got a bunch of original programming. It's going to be Disney Plus only. One that I am curious about, which is The World According to Jeff Goldblum, which is a National Geographic travel series. Uh, One that I am less curious about, Lady and the Tramp, a live action recreation of that timeless dog slurping spaghetti classic. I don't know. That's like (laughs) Disney's half the price of what I spend a year on Netflix. So do I want to pay that to get that particular content. That's kind of what it comes down to for me. Yeah, it's going to be amusing to watch Apple launch their content and then like 
two or three months later, Disney's going to come out with their behemoth of a system. I, I'm curious to see what Apple does because they have a lot of money. Good I, times. More <laughs> services to choose from. Yeah, but what if, if, if they interest? I mean, but I have stars so I can watch American Gods, you know? I hear you. I, I'd have like... In any case, it's, yeah, more more places for your money to go. On the flip side, you know, seven bucks a month is like three cups of coffee at Starbucks, one decent burrito, or less than half the cost of a single movie ticket for a feature presentation here in the Bay Area. Did I tell you about Cobas? No. I okay. mean, I know of it. So, yeah, you've talked about that a few times. Okay. They're brand new. It's the world's first and only certified high-res streaming and download service. I just want to say right now, if you've been curious about high-res audio, this is an interesting way to experience it because high-res albums tend to be expensive. And I also want to remind everybody that you can't hear high-res unless you have a DAC that will properly play high-res, but we won't get too deep on that in the moment. For not much more than the cost of, of an album or two, or probably less than the cost of two albums, you can get a month of Cobuzz's level that has the high-resolution audio. They're a French company. They've been around for years. I want to say six or seven years now. They've officially launched in the U.S. like this month. 40 million tracks are available in high res. 170,000 albums, maybe 2 million tracks of the 40 million tracks total they have on Cobuzz are in high res. Okay. So it's a it's a tiny fraction of the overall catalog, but it's probably enough for you to find an album you like and decide if you can hear the high res difference. Sure. So it's a thought. Uh, yeah. Android, iOS, desktop apps, Sonos will work with it. Rune Labs supports it. Uh, it's, of course, 16. You can't do high-res audio on Sonos. And like I said before, let me say it again. You need a DAC that will do high-res to play high-res files. They've got three different tiers. Premium is 320 kilobits per second for 10 bucks a month, which is basically the same pricing as Spotify Premium. They have a, a lossless FLAC level for 20 bucks a month, which is, oddly enough, the same price as Tidal. Standard Tidal is 10 bucks a month. Lossless FLAC Tidal is 20 bucks a month. Uh, and then they have the studio version, which is the high-res files, which is 24-bit up to 192 kilohertz for 25 bucks a month. And then if you are a high-resolution audio addict yes. or enthusiast, uh, they have what they call Sublime. And Sublime... Basically, it's 300 bucks for the year, but they give you huge discounts on purchasing high-res albums to own. This fits an interesting kind of niche in between Tidal and Spotify in terms of the software. Because I've been thinking a lot right. lately about just how much better Spotify... Like, in terms of experiencing music, like, Spotify's recommendations are fantastic. The more time I spend with Spotify Connect, the more awesome I think it is. I also wish Spotify... It's got discovery in spades in terms of just a... They're very good at that. Yeah. And it'll stream to basically just about anything in your house uh, by clicking, which I'm a huge fan of. You know, it's everywhere. I wish they would work with stuff like Rune Labs, but that's never going to happen. Would you recommend this to somebody who's just a fan of collecting high res? If you are collecting high res, I would start sort of searching through their offerings and see which ones yeah. are available in high res and then decide if you want Any to. Any reason to say heck no? Most people, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. If you stream music, you know, in your office with background noise or in your kitchen when pans are hammering around, you probably don't need high resolution audio. You probably don't need high resolution audio, period. Or about hearing protection at that point. Yeah. So. It's an interesting experiment. Because uh, I, I will say, like, 10 bucks for their premium level is pretty fantastic. It's an interesting catalog. It's funny because they bring the sort of, like, magazine-y reading about the titles and the artists, and it's very sort of sophisticated curation of the content. Where Spotify is all about, we know what you'll like. Really, check this list out. And it's wow, I really like this stuff. You know, but you've got to dig a couple times to like read about the artist. Is it all you can eat for what you pay? For streaming? Yeah. For streaming, it's all you can eat. And then For purchasing, you got to pay the $300 a year if you want to buy high-res titles cheap. Okay. 
But if you were thinking about buying like a hundred albums in high res, you may actually come ahead on the deal if you get the sublime version of this. Because I mean, start twenty bucks albums. a month for flack. Yeah, I don't know why that just seems expensive to me. Given that everybody listened to Pandora, which sounds like ass. No disrespect True. to Pandora, uh, but like I like I can't listen to Pandora. And Pandora I'm okay. one, yeah, better. But yeah, it's another pay for service. Yeah, like but I mean, 10 it's like a month or my wife had a Pandora, like listen to everything on Pandora, and I slowly sort of like I got. Spotify account. Regular Pandora, much like probably regular, although I haven't listened to it in a while, Spotify. They degrade it a little bit. It's more compressed sounding. And I I noticed that. I always look for the more premium services, something that's closer to lossless. I'll be honest with you. If you're not super critical. For Cobas, I'd be stepping almost immediately up to their 20 or 25 a month plan just to have access to some of that high-res goodness. Well, and it's, it's, or at it's, least the flak level. I would think of it as an experiment. Yeah. If, you, if you've been hearing about high-res and you have a DAC that'll play it, hey, get a month of Cobas. See what you like it. If you don't listen to the high-res and think like the angels are singing just for you on the head of a pin, you know what? If you like the interface, it's 320 kbps for 10 bucks a month. I think about what I spend to buying CDs and turning them into flak files and things like that. This would simply save you a lot of hassle, too, and just have a, an amazing library to choose from. Yeah, well, you're, and if you're amazing wanna... streaming library. For, like, for me, I still need flak files because they still end up in places where I can't play anything because the internet's not there. Yeah, but... offline playback has oh, my its goodness. It's interesting. They have, they have really, really broad offerings. If you think of a s- streaming service as like the world's largest record store, Title tends to have a lot of stuff in particular areas and then to be like a vast empty wasteland in others. Spotify, I think, is is like Tower Records circa, you know, 1992, where I could walk in there and there was a 98% chance that they would have what I wanted, no matter if it was an obscure indie band or a classical album or some jazz stuff. They're um, the one to beat. Cobas is, they have like, Two Black Flag albums out of the SST catalog. Best reason for me to own all of my music on CD is because the licensing is so squirrely on so many of these services or from so many of these companies. Parts of collections. Parts of collections. Or or three tracks are missing from an album. Oh, or like they yeah. used to have all of Amber Rubarth's Chesky stuff, but now they don't. I was watching uh, Roadies and I wanted to rehear a Leonard Skinner song and like title didn't have any Leonard Skinner. You know, not that I spent a lot of time listening to Leonard Skinner, but it was for me it was really really funny that was also around the time that i was having 10 weeks of having an advertisement for an album i didn't want to listen to blasted into my face every single time i opened title right so i could click four times to get to what i was trying to listen to in any case cobuzz uh sounds good opportunity to play around with high-res audio without buying a lot of expensive files and for the 44th time you need a DAC that supports high-resolution audio to hear high-resolution audio deal we had a question from derek what's derek looking for Derek from Wisconsin emailed, I'm writing to ask about your preferred component hookup method. Do you prefer to run device HDMI into your AVR and then pass video to your TV or plug into your TV and pass the audio through? I'm currently running an LG OLED C7 with a Marantz SR6009 receiver with a mix of both to accommodate all of my devices. But was wondering if you have a preference. Thanks. Love the show. Plug everything into the AVR. Yeah, generally. Why not? Yeah. Simplify, man. Run um, one video cable out to your display device. Yeah. And that'll also, with HDMI, bring along audio too, just in case you don't want to turn on the AVR or something. If you're running a Sonos sound bar or play bar, you and have to you, run everything into the television and then the audio outputs to your AVR. But. Yeah. Most TVs like the C7 have an ARC port on them, and I guarantee you the Marantz, its output is ARC compatible. That's going to be kind of nice. So if you are using the apps built into the TV... 
you can then stream the audio back to the AVR, which yeah. is really nice. What's really nice is if you have like one of the new C9 OLEDs from LG <laughs> that now incorporate features of HDMI 2.1, including EARC, that'll do Dolby Atmos. Nice. If you happen to be streaming tracks, which some are available now, apparently. That just happened. There were several. Yes. <laughs> but it, like this week, they launched that. So. Yeah. I mean, in most situations, do it at the AVR level because yeah. you just have so much control there. And Leave so the AVR defaults. Ports. You shouldn't need to change any video settings or anything. Leave it all in Automagic. Mm-hmm. Use those ARC ports in case you are using the apps built into the TV so it can stream the audio back to your receiver. And enjoy. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. Some follow-ups from episode 101. Several people emailed or tweeted or texted us or accosted us uh, on the street to remind us that a lot of people, especially people in rural environments, love the DVDs and the Blu-rays. Uh, you had mentioned that we were talking about Make MKV right. and backing up discs. And you had mentioned don't rent discs and just rip them. Right. And I was like, how many people still rent discs? And then it I, I was shocked. At least just with Netflix's DVD by right. mail service, it, it's still almost 3 million people. Yeah. Just Red in the Box, US. By the way, the well, red boxes are US. everywhere too. That Every store has Red those. Boxes. I know many people that use those. That also surprises me. I'm always like, you know, you're doing what? Rental stores are gone for the most part, but yeah. uh, at least in this part of the country. But I thought that was pretty funny. And, yeah. and more people than I thought are still using discs. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, the other thing is, you know, a lot of people have really crappy internet, and a lot of people barely have internet by streaming standards. I, hey, and it, I'm sure it's still affordable as can be, too. So when I walked into the room, you were gnashing your teeth and rending your clothing and covering your face with ash. Oh, that. <laughs> oh, good old episode 101. I was uh, using the word... What was it? I was describing calibration. I was describing characteristics of picture quality. And I kept using the word shade to refer to different colors. And that's really, I'm sure that made any or most of my oh, industry buddies cringe with delight. <laughs> hey, Robbo. That was like, a nice hey, one. Hey, buddy, you're confusing everyone. <laughs> Stop that. Shade refers to a particular hue or a particular color with scaled luminous levels. Uh Shades of gray, uh, the same color, but with different amounts of brightness you can think of. Hue is more in reference of a particular color. If you really want to go down a rabbit hole, (laughs) hue can also reference quite a bit else depending on which model you're looking at. The Wikipedia article is an awesome launching point. I will just direct you toward for a twisty fun ride. Color is complicated. Uh, sometimes you'll hear the word tint. That is akin to effectively adding white to the picture. And shade is akin to adding black. And I believe that's more for the pigment side of things in terms of color mixing. For light, though, when I say shade, I'm really referring to the same color. Mm-hmm. When, I, when I'm referring to different colors, I should be using the word either color or hue. Right. And one nice thing, though, related to shade is when we talk about 8-bit video versus 10-bit video versus 12 or whatever. Right. That is a direct representation, then, of how many different shades Ape TV can represent of a particular color. So with 8-bit, 256. And then you have 1024 for 10-bit. When you start digging into the Hue article and, and talking about color from a scientific perspective, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one, one oh, paragraph. Article? The basic challenge for any color appearance model is that human color perception does not work in terms of XYZ tristimulus values, but in terms of appearance parameters, hue, 
lightness, brightness, chroma, colorfulness, and saturation. So any color appearance model needs to provide transformations which factor in viewing conditions from the XYZ tristimulus values to these appearance parameters, at least hue, lightness, and chroma. So you say something like, well, in my case, shades of gray, shades of red, right. shades of, and that's simply just that reference of light to darkness. Whereas every time in episode 101 where I was saying shade, I really should have been saying hue because I am referring to distinct different colors. Right. Hues are colors, shades are levels of brightness on a given hue. And let's just keep it right there unless we yes, really sir. want to go for the PhD. <laughs> Which, I, it's worth doing. Again, that, that, that bit of that article you, uh, you quoted, that's a good one to read. That, that, there are plenty of jumping off points from there. You can but see, that was just one yeah. that really bugged me. And it's something, you know, I talk about this stuff all the time. The description of color, I should make sure I'm getting my terms right. And I'm, I'm working very hard to integrate that word hue. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, it's also, I mean, it's also, you know, in your defense, most of us spend, like most of us, our relationship to color, like my life in terms of color got weird at one point when I was working in publishing and I discovered Pantone colors and like, you know, the book of all the colors, like literally there is a, a book I with feel all like the Pantone colors. It's just something I felt I yeah. should have known and had been able to catch myself saying. On behalf of the audience, I forgive you. Oh, Don't yeah. do it again. I feel you. <laughs> anyway, you also mentioned that thing called Project uh, 4K77. Yes. I think it was called. How does that differ from, say, like what's called Harmy's despecialized version of Star Wars, which is effectively a group effort to recreate the original Star Wars with the best sources possible from any available source to get it back to that original theatrical release rather than any of the special editions right. and other things like that. Uh, Han shoots first, blah, blah, blah. Well, it's, it's faithful it, to what you would have seen had you, could you time travel back to 77 so and check it out? My loose understanding um, is that Harmies started with the official 2011 Blu-ray of A New Hope. Got you. And, and they then decided the- to despecialize it, i.e. take all the crappy decisions away. For example, someone shooting first. For example, uh, you right. know, certain other things that were done in there. Uh, well, so Project 4K actually started then with a 35 millimeter. They literally found, they had a 35 millimeter Technicolor. And uh, yeah, no. So th- their goal was literally, uh, they, they, and they, they did, what's, what's kind of funny about it is um, they did a full, they basically grabbed an original 1977 35 millimeter Technicolor print. They scanned it at 4K, they cleaned it at 4K, they rendered it at 4K. 97% of, of 4K 77 is from that single print they found. That's cool. Okay, yeah. that's a cool distinction. Yeah, and then they also, they basically, like these efforts. they did it one with noise reduction and one without noise reduction. Right. We talked about that. Yeah. Episode so, 101, baby. Where Harmy started with the, the Blu-ray, these guys started with an actual 1977 theatrical print that I like to think of as having been stolen by an enthusiastic projectionist out of a theater somewhere in Nebraska, which is, I, I literally like, I'm just pulling that out of my ass nope. to amuse myself uh-huh. um, and not to disparage whatever the source of that uh, print was. Oh, we were talking about Blu-ray players right. last week for 4K playback, and we mentioned that LG seemed to have fewer returns than just about any other major brand out there. I will say, in my storage unit, and I still use occasionally, is an LG BH200. And that was that crazy Blu-ray HD-DVD combo player. 
<laughs> I think it's still, it still functions. I, I will right. give it that. It's not the fastest thing in the world. It's still good. So I'll throw that out there in addition to, that's probably one of the players I've had the longest in terms of actual use. I mean, that's going back a ways. I just remember how many times we watched the big Lebowski in the HD DVD. And you were like stockpiling extra copies of that. <laughs> I still have a box of HD DVDs somewhere for I think no, I gave no you the particular last of mine. reason. I, you know, should have traded them all thing. in for Blu-rays when I could. You have an audience request. Does anybody know an easy way to turn a 4K projector into four 1080p screens? Yeah, you know, considering how many people are starting to get into inexpensive 4K projectors, right. one thing you could do with that, use a four-way split, there's four 1080p screens. All the baseball would, games. It would just be nice. <laughs> Put a game console on one, have right. at least, you know, your cable box on one, over the air on a third. <sighs> this should be way easier than it is. Maybe there's a device out there, but I haven't seen one. Maybe a matrix switch that could somehow do it. But you'd have to segment off. I yeah, mean, it would you could do to, it in Windows. It would need a video processor to something to handle that. Handle those feeds, mix them, and make it look right. I mean, it's it's actually non-trivial because you're. I've di- seen attempts at building devices like yeah. these, but I just never they've never seemed to catch on, and maybe not enough people want them. I have a lot of people ask me about picture in picture. It's right. like, oh, when are the TVs going to finally do better picture in picture? It's like I, unless unless you complain directly and loudly, right. never. Uh, it's just not something they're worried about. It's going to go the way of 3D. You know what works TVs. just as well as picture in picture? Buying a second. There you go. Samsung slash LG slash Vizio slash Hisense have slash. The, have a couple of OLEDs <laughs> hung up on the wall. Good golly. Oh, my goodness. We're going to wrap it there in our effort to uh, get a reasonably sized episode out each and every week this month of May. And uh, thank you to all of our patrons over at patreon.com slash avxl we appreciate your contribution uh they directly keep this show going they do we really appreciate everyone we gave everybody april for free we're gonna get four episodes out this month and we got a hangout plan and we're gonna be recalibrating my projector and videotaping the mayhem oh my that thing's probably way off man projectors and husky and children oh my (laughs) get that lens set up uh it's not bad i want to redo my mount but that's a conversation for next week Lots of good mounts out there. Yeah, but so many of them, the hanging part is fine, but a lot of them are, I, I want something that's, that's like a bench rest system for a high-powered rifle doing one-mile competition. Right. That's and the kind so I many use. of them, But so many of the... So many of the uh, I'll have to check. I'll look up, but it has two adjustment knobs. Yes, but the problem is, is it's, like, it's loose, despite the fact that the, maybe, I haven't, maybe I'm missing tightening they something. They weren't cheap, but yeah, they, they... Oh, maybe this mine's not a peerless thing. <laughs> <laughs> But it was going to be hanging like 10 feet above our heads. Yeah. It had to be done right. I didn't want to get on a ladder every time to mess with it. So it's getting uh, set up once. <laughs> once is good. <laughs> and I'll never touch it again. I had to explain to my son. Unless to, I go up there to stop. stick a, another streaming stick in. He wasn't using the remote correctly and I changed the remotes out. So now it's working. But he would reach up to press the power button. And then he would, when he pressed the power button, it would rotate. Let's see. Oh, it would rotate it like five degrees this way and two degrees this way, so it'd have to like realign oh, no. everything. Nobody, nobody ever touches the box. Yeah, that's we had what a conversation for. about that. Yeah, don't touch the box. What's in the box? Don't touch the box. Got to be careful. With that, ladies and gentlemen, do us a favor. Email us ask at avxl.com. We want your questions. We'll get to them next week, and uh, we're going to be talking about. Uh, Robert's favorite colors and correct Windows settings to use for notebook audio levels and why you may want to be careful and why I personally, when I have a volume knob, 
turn the volume knob to zero every time I put a set of headphones on. Ah. <laughs> That's the first setting I change on any AVR. Every good AVR I look at, uh, maybe they all do now, but they right. have that. When you power on, set the volume to this level every time, and or and the max volume setting. <laughs> Never allow it to go above this. But every time it turns on and off, start at this nice low volume. Yeah, somebody deaf was listening to a Blu-ray Oof. in my house Oof. once, which I didn't know that they were a deaf or b had been using the blu-ray player until i fired up the remote and uh just about woke up everybody in my apartment building man there was knocking at my door angry knocking i've done that (laughs) almost as annoying as whatever neighbor it was that had a car alarm going off a couple times a day every day for well until they pulled the battery Quote, unquote. I was going to tell you, a ball-peen <laughs> hammer and a set of oh. wire cutters will fix that problem for a while. Sympathy. It's a good neighbor, but I know. Good golly. Oh. On that bright and cheerful note, ladies and gentlemen, we are getting distracted again, and it is time to turn you loose. AVXL.com is the website. You get all the links to download the shows, to listen to the shows there, to subscribe to the shows. And we want to thank each and every one of you for listening, and a big special thanks to our patrons at patreon.com slash AVXL. We'll catch you next week, people.